Welcome to Israel from the Inside, where we try to break out of the echo chamber, surfacing the wide array of often conflicting viewpoints that make up the mosaic of Israeli life. I'm Daniel Gordas of Shalem College in Jerusalem. Go to danielgordas.substack.com where you can subscribe to these podcasts and join our community of listeners and readers, access the archive of all these episodes, and post comments, interacting with others who share your interest in Zionism, Israel, and the future of the Jewish state. There are few people that I look forward to speaking with regularly more than a colleague, a friend, one of the most mellifluous writers about Israel and Zionism in the English language, Yossi Klein-Halevi. Yossi really kind of needs no introduction, but I'll just give the basics. He is a senior fellow at the Shalom Hartman Institute in Jerusalem, Together with Imam Abdullah Antepli of Duke University and Maital Friedman, he co-directs the Hartman Institute Muslim Leadership Initiative. Yossi is the author of the New York Times bestseller, Letters to My Palestinian Neighbor, and co-host with Daniel Hartman and Ilana Steinhain of the Institute's For Heaven's Sake podcast. He is the author also of another fabulous book, Like Dreamers, the story of Israeli paratroopers who reunited Jerusalem and divided a nation, which won the Jewish Book Council's Everett Book of the Year Award. He's got other books, An Entrance to the Garden of Eden, Eden a Jew's Search for God with Christians and Muslims. And we're going to talk a little bit today about the subject of his very first book, Memoirs of a Jewish Extremist which told the story of his teenage attraction to, but then subsequent disillusionment with Jewish militancy. Uh, and of course, part of that was Mayor Kahana. And Mayor Kahana is sort of back in the Israeli news indirectly, uh, because Ben Gvir, who was just elected to the government not long ago, is a disciple, a self-proclaimed disciple of Kahana, even though he claims to have moderated some from his master's positions. And in order to try to understand Kahanism, what its attraction was to people back then, what its attraction may well be to people today, why certain people like Yossi Klein Halevi, no less in love with the Jewish and moral tradition than they ever were, have now distanced themselves from Kahanism. Uh, there's really nobody better to talk to about that, both because of his personal experience, but because of his extraordinary analytic abilities uh, than Yossi Klein Halevi. So, Yossi, first of all, thank you very much for taking the time. I know you're busy. I know you're traveling a tremendous amount. So I'm very grateful to you for being in this conversation. Well, thank you so much, Danny. And I, I can't tell you how much I've been looking forward to speaking with you in particular about this moment. And so it's uh, it's really a privilege to be to be able to do that. Thank you. So let's start with your own story. Uh, you you grow up in a in a family of uh, immigrants to the United States in New York City. I'll let you tell the story. Tell us a little bit about how you grew up and what you think looking back attracted you to Kahanism? I know you mentioned to me once that you were actually, ironically, in Israel during the time of his first campaign and were 
somewhat peripherally, I guess, involved in that campaign. Not so peripherally. Not so peripherally. <laughs> okay, fine. You're his vice presidential nominee. We'll hear. But in any event, let's um, tell us a story. You know, the kind of family you grow up in, and given that, what's the attraction to Kahanism? What is it about Kahana's worldview yeah. that speaks to caring Jews? And why does Yossi Klein Alevi end up moving away? Well, we're talking about, for me personally, events that happened literally 50 years ago. That's a long time. It's a long time in a person's life. It's even a long time in history. And and I would have been really happy never to talk about Mayor Kahana again for the rest of my life, never to revisit the late 1960s in Brooklyn. Uh, but here we are 50 years later, and it's Kahana's moment. Uh, it's an astonishing development, and I can't quite wrap my head around it. And uh, I'm struggling for answers uh, to the questions that you raised. Uh, in terms of uh, my background, and so let's, uh, I guess, let's go back to that. I grew up in uh, a survivor family. In, um, in Brooklyn, in Borough Park. And in the late 1960s, uh, there was a convergence of uh, extraordinary uh, historical developments. And suddenly, Brooklyn became one of the centers of, uh, of world Jewry, because that's where Mayor Kahana and the Jewish Defense League emerged. And, and the convergence of events that, that created uh, Mayor Kahana and, and the JDL, uh, was first of all the coming of age of the survivor generation, the, se the second generation, uh, which, um, you know, I was in high school then, and, and we, were, we were beginning to ask the hard questions, hard questions about the American Jewish community and its role during the Holocaust, uh, questions about the world. Uh, we had a tremendous amount of rage and, and we were looking for some way to express that rage. And Kahana came along and, uh, and was the catalyst. But along with Kahana, it was the, uh, the Six-Day War that had recently happened and that had injected this tremendous boost of, of Jewish pride and, and, and a fighting spirit. Uh, it was also the 60s in America. And the 60s were a time when when violence and, and radical politics were being celebrated and rewarded by the media. The more violent you were, the more militant you were, the more, the more column inches you got in, uh, in the New York Times. And Kahana is the one who, who really most internalized that in the Jewish community and translated that into uh, a very successful uh, political agenda. Um, and finally, and, and in some ways most importantly, it was the Soviet Jewry movement. And Soviet Jews were coming of age, having their own coming of age experience uh, in response to the Six-Day War. And there was this very powerful symbiotic relationship, uh, cause and effect happening between American Jewry and Soviet Jewry. Soviet Jews were, young Soviet Jews, were revolting against the Kremlin's forced assimilation policy, reclaiming their Jewish pride. That, in turn, had a deep influence on American Jews, young American Jews in particular. And we, 
intensified our protests. And, and into this extraordinarily intense environment, this kind of hothouse of post-Holocaust 60s mix, Mayor Kahana comes along. And I saw him as everything that the American Jewish community wasn't, which, which was certainly true. And Kahana created a moment that never existed before or afterward, which was to recruit a fairly large number of young American Jews who were willing to do outrageous acts on behalf of Jewish causes uh, and, um, and go to jail. Uh, that became a kind of a normative experience for, for many of us, going in and out of jail, uh, learning the, the, um, the legal system. <laughs> and that's something that young Jews were, were really not supposed to, to know, not from the inside. We were supposed to be the lawyers, not the defendants. And, uh, and so there was this, this um, an upending of, uh, of the normative American Jewish experience. And, um, and again, Mayor Kahana was the, the impresario of this uh, transformation. So you get involved with him. What is it exactly that speaks to you? Is it the Jewish pride? Is it about Jewish action following a period of American Jewish life when there was no action? And just to remind our listeners, it's a little bit hard to remember, but that during the Shoah, during the Holocaust, there was basically no Jewish response in America. I mean, that's a slight exaggeration, but it's not a huge exaggeration. There were not mass marches on Washington. I mean, there were already highways, there were already airplanes, there were already buses. Uh, Jews, there were millions of Jews in America. The word was out. Deborah Lipstadt's book about the New York Times coverage of the Holocaust proves that beyond a shadow of a doubt. People knew what was happening. Um, there was one protest behind the White House of 400 mostly Orthodox rabbis that got a little press and then went away. So is it is it a sense that finally we're doing something? Is it rage about the Holocaust? I mean, yeah, what was, about Kahana specifically speaks to you? It was actually rage against the American Jewish community for the reason that you just, just mentioned. There were demonstrations. Uh, there, there, there was an effort in the 1940s in the American Jewish community, but what was lacking was a sense of desperation. And we were, in a way, retroactively uh, supplying the desperation that had been missing in the American Jewish community. And that's, that's what motivated us. Uh, you know, when, when we invoked the slogan, never again, and, and we were very aware of this at the time, never again didn't mean for us that never again will there be another Holocaust, because that's not in our control. You never know when the next wave of, of anti-Semitism is going to, to come along. But what never again meant for us is never again would Jews respond passively. Uh, would Jews respond uh, without a sense of shaking the foundations of society? And that's what we tried to do. We, we took direct aim at uh, President Nixon and Henry Kissinger's most important foreign policy achievement, which was detente with the Soviet Union. Uh, and we actually disrupted it severely. 
And that was a direct response to Rabbi Stephen Wise and the American Jewish community uh, basically falling in line uh, and not wanting to disrupt uh, President uh, Roosevelt's uh, agenda and not challenging him. And so that that was really, uh, I would say, the most powerful motive for us. And um, and if I can segue now for a moment, Danny, into the the dark side of this, we were we were kids. We were seventeen, eighteen, and Mayor Kahana cynically manipulated our our naivete, our enthusiasm, and put young people in in intolerable risk, legal risk, physical risk, and and then abandoned them when 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 they got into trouble. Uh, not at the beginning. At the beginning he he did um, he did stand by 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 his uh, his disciples. But when he moved to Israel in 1971, he lost interest. And he left people to really twist in the wind. And, and so, and, and the reason that I'm mentioning this is because there was a, um, a ruthlessness in Kahana. There was a, a love of violence for its own sake. And I used to make a distinction between what I would call the good Kahana and the bad Kahana. The good Kahana was the American Kahana, the Jewish Defense League. And it was all for the sake of protecting Jewish lives. And, and then there was the bad Kahana who moved to Israel and became uh, an apocalyptic racist, uh, created his own insane version of Judaism. He, he was a, a, a kind of theologian. Who, who placed vengeance and hatred at the center of, uh, of his theology. And, and Kahana moved from being a political ideologist to being a radical theologian. And so that was the bad Kahana. But the truth is that I see a direct link between the two Kahanas. And that was a, um, a man for whom any means uh, was justified if if uh, if you felt that your end was justified, uh, whether whether it was using random violence, risking the lives of civilians, or whether it meant uh, abandoning your own your own followers, and uh, and and so there was in um, in Kahana and at the heart of what we call today Kahanism a deeply immoral contempt. For for restraint, for for the norms that that really are essential to to a decent society, and and I came to fear Mayor Kahana and what he unleashed, uh, and what he was empowering in in all of us, in me, validating rage and hatred, violence, and and uh, and turning that into the litmus test. For, uh, for being a good Jew. Before we move on and talk a little bit about um, your split with Kahana, and then we'll talk a little bit about what's developing today in Israel with Itamar Ben-Gvir and others. You know, the word that you used that really struck me a minute ago was uh, desperation. And it struck me that some of Zionism's greatest movements has all, have also been born out of desperation. I think that uh, Jabotinsky, 
is a person whose career is really fueled by a sense of desperation, a sense that Europe is going to go to a horrible place and, and an urgency to get Jews to leave. It doesn't work at the end of the day. Uh, but I think Herzl also, in his own way, is animated by a certain sense of desperation. It doesn't lead to anything similar to what Kahana does, but desperation, it struck me as you were speaking, Yossi, isn't, isn't foreign to, to Zionist discourse and isn't really foreign to Zionist feeling. And I want to hear in a second whether you agree with that or not. But the other thing that I was just thinking as you were speaking is, again, you know, I totally agree with you that what 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 Kahana, you know, what you're calling the bad Kahana, and I'll use that terminology for now, uh, what he became is anathema to the Jewish life that you and I live. And I think, you know, you are perhaps in the English language, the most eloquent spokesperson for a Judaism of love, moderation, passionate Zionism, etc. Um but this notion of that the ends justify the means, um, that's, you know, also found in the Lechi, commonly called the Stern Gang. I mean, I think you could make the argument there. Some people would make it, some people wouldn't, but it certainly has been made. Uh, Menachem Begin, who you know I revere, um, was accused by some of his followers of having left them behind in Poland when he and Elisa fled to Russia. My only point about all of this is that all of these things have echoes in, in Zionism. And the more one knows about Zionist history, the more you hear the echoes in different kinds of places without in any way, God forbid, making the claim that they're similar with Kahana. They're just echoes here. Um, but these are longstanding issues in, in Zionist history. So, what happens in the life of Yossi Klein Alevi? He gets to Israel in his junior year abroad. As you said before, you're actually more than peripherally involved in Kahana's first run for the Knesset. Um, and today, of course, you're talking about him as having been a radical, terrible theologian who turned Judaism into something ugly. What's the switch for you? Well, I just want to, before I answer, I, I, I just want to respond to what you were saying a moment ago about desperation. And uh, that's certainly true. But where Kahana diverged from all of the people you mentioned, Jabotinsky, Begin, even uh, even the Lechi, the Stern Group, was that unlike all of them, Kahana sanctified hatred and rage and violence. For Begin, for Shamir, certainly for, for, uh, for Ben-Gurion, force was necessary. It wasn't something sacred. And and hatred was beyond the pale. Begin, I mean you know you know this better than right. than than most of us, Danny. You you put in you put in the hours. Uh Begin was was a man of love and not a man of hatred. Uh Itamar Ben Gvir has just uh, memorialized Kahana as a man of Ahavat Israel, of love of the Jewish people. Well, you know, I I never knew a man who spoke more incessantly about love of his fellow Jews and hated his fellow Jews more than Mayor Kahana. Kahana had an endless list of Jewish traitors, of uh Jews for whom he had nothing but contempt. And Kahana loved those Jews whom he could manipulate, who were his followers, and uh, until, until some of them turned against him, I turned against him, and he publicly disowned me in the pages of the Jewish press. 
he uh, he wrote an article refusing to mention me by name. That person, you know, and uh, and so there is this this profound disconnect uh, at the heart of Kahanism between uh, the supposed love for the Jewish people and this continual sense of 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 being betrayed by the Jewish people for not for not coming up to their standards of how of how we're supposed to behave what how we're supposed to think so what happens so to before me, we go on Yossi, I just want I just yeah. want to interrupt you for one second let's say one of our listeners is 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 asking herself or himself at this moment okay I actually want to I want to I want to hear this inside Kahana I want to hear Kahana's words where do they turn to read this, who's written what that they can open up when they stop listening to the podcast and 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 sort of meet this part of Kahana that you're describing? Where can he be found today? You mean in terms of what Kahana has left behind in his writings? No, yeah, exactly, yeah. I mean, look, I'm thinking of uh, some of the columns that he wrote for the Jewish press, where uh, he would he would refer to to secular Israelis as Hebrew-speaking Gentiles, uh, this sense of um, if you're if you weren't with him, you were really beyond the pale. I remember him talking about Yossi Sarid and and other left-wing Zionist leaders who deserved death, who deserved uh, to to really be be not just excommunicated from the Jewish people, but uh, but physically dealt with. Uh, there's the the, the transformation, and this is something you know. Kahana in America, he he certainly despised uh, large numbers of American Jews, but he didn't really begin speaking about violence against fellow Jews until he moved to Israel. That was the that was the transformation, and something happened to him, and I saw it up close. I saw I saw the transformation. Um, you had mentioned that I, I was with Kahana in 1973, which is uh, shortly after he moved to Israel. He moved to Israel in 1971, and I came to uh, to Israel in 73 for my junior year abroad at uh, at Hebrew U. And of course, one of my first stops uh, was the the office, you know, on 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 Rehov Yafo, Jaffa Road. And Kahana had already begun to pivot uh, away from Soviet Jewry uh, toward his Israeli far-right agenda, uh, expelling um, Arabs. In those, in those years, he wasn't speaking so much about expelling Palestinians from, from Judea and Samaria. He was speaking about peacefully voluntarily encouraging Arab citizens of Israel to emigrate. And I think that that's really an important point because Ben Gvir is doing the same thing today. Ben Gvir is trying to go back to Kahana of uh, 45 years ago. And when when I hear Ben Gvir, I, I hear Mayor Kahana of uh, the JDL and much less Kahana of Kach, the, the, the organization that he set up in Israel, uh, with the exception of 
voluntarily encouraging Arab citizens of Israel to leave. Uh, and so Ben, ben Greer is, um, is very cleverly adapting the kahana that he feels is palatable for the Israeli public and leaving aside the apocalyptic messianic kahana who wanted to blow up the Dome of the Rock and who dreamed of, of a showdown between Israel and the entire Muslim world uh, as the trigger for for the coming of the Messiah. He was a kind of an insane, he became a a mad apocalyptic theologian. But um, I am getting a bit ahead of the story because I didn't quite know this. I didn't quite understand this when I showed up at his office in 1973 coming to help. And and I did some work for him, and gradually I, I began to realize that this isn't quite the same kahana. It's not quite the same agenda that we signed up for in, uh, in Brooklyn. Uh, this wasn't an agenda of protecting Jewish lives, but of um, attacking Arab citizens of Israel, um, turning Arabs into conditional citizens, beginning to uh, beginning a, a conversation, a, a discourse, which is culminating today with Ben Greer, in which Arab Israelis are, are, are conditional citizens. And there's something very dangerous about taking a, uh, a part of your population and turning their, them into conditional citizens. And that's that's what I saw Kahana doing in 1973. And again, this is before he was speaking about violent transfer, about expulsion. It was all seemingly innocent. You know, what's the harm in, in, in setting up an immigration office to encourage and offer financial incentives to people who, in any case, aren't quite happy in a Jewish state, and so we we're here to help. And uh, when and does he make the when does he make the transition to the the, the more violent the the, the advocacy the, using the you know advocating the the forceful violent expulsion of Arabs? When does that transformation take place? A month after I left. The <laughs> and and so if you if you had stayed in Israel, it would yeah, yeah, maybe yes. no, 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 not not after <laughs> I left Israel. It happened a month after I I showed up at the office, volunteered for that first election campaign, which he which he uh, failed to get into the Knesset, uh, and then comes the Yom Kippur War, a month later, uh, and um, and Kahana uh, finds himself. A failure. He had left the JDL. The JDL is falling apart in, in America. He was certain that he was getting into the Knesset, and the polls actually showed him getting three or four seats. The Yom Kippur wow. War happens. The elections are postponed, and suddenly Kahana is completely irrelevant. He's a new immigrant from Brooklyn. Who cares about Mayor Kahana? In November, December 1973, the country is traumatized. And it turns in, it inward, and Kahana finds himself nowhere and a nobody. And this becomes a major trauma for him. And I saw it literally overnight. Kahana becomes a, uh, an apocalyptic theologian and 
begins to speak bitterly about Israel, bitterly with, with real hatred toward uh, labor Zionism. And even Menachem Begin is a kind of a sellout. They're all sellouts. And only Mayor Kahana is the, is the carrier of the purity of the Zionist vision. And if you, if you read his book, 40 Years, that's, that's an important document. He's writing about uh, the state of Israel as coming to an end. Zionism is coming to an end. Kahana really turned against Zionism. Became a, in his way, he went so far in, a nas- in an ultra-nationalist direction that he became a kind of anti-Zionist. He hated the Zionism of normalization. He hated the, the, the mundane Zionism that allowed the Jewish people to recover from the Holocaust that empowered the Jewish people. And Kahana instead went off into a direction of messianic delusions. So it happened very soon after, uh, uh, after I, I joined him and, and left. And then most of the people who had been with him in, uh, in America also left him and felt uh, that this was really not a direction that uh, made sense for, for those of us who had, who had followed him in New York. But here we are 49 years later in the fall of 2022, not the fall of 1973. It's almost exactly half a century. And something about Kahana has been reborn. Yeah. So tell us a little bit in your own mind, obviously you can't creep into Ben Gvir's brain, but is Ben Gvir, to use your terminology, the bad Kahana wearing the clothes of the good Kahana? Is that's he it. really sort of... Say no more, Dana, you just summed it up. That's what you think. You think Absolutely. he is fundamentally an, apoc- an apocalyptic theologian or an apocalyptic politician Absolutely. looking to sound moderate when in fact yes. what he wants is violence and throwing the Arabs out and so yes. on and so forth. Yeah, and you know, when in, um, in the JDL, Kahana used to set up front groups that were intended to attract young people who were a little bit afraid of the JDL. And and Kahana set up a series of front groups. And of course, that's a tactic that he learned from uh, the communists in the 1930s who set up all of these fake peace, peace front groups uh, that were completely controlled by the Soviet Union. And... And I, what, what, what I think Ben Gvir's genius is, is to turn the entire Kahana's movement into a front group. And, and, and that's, that's his party. Otsmayudi, Jewish Power, which is the, the faction within the Religious Zionism Party, uh, is, is, to my mind, one great Kahanist front group. You've been listening to Israel from the Inside. Go to danielgordas.substack.com where you can hear more of these episodes. If you have ideas for topics you'd like us to explore, we'd love to hear from you. Until next time, I'm Daniel Gordas.